This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stripling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. At issue tonight, the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division is opening a federal investigation into conditions at four Mississippi prisons, the State Penitentiary at Parchman, the South Mississippi Correctional Institution in Greene County, the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility in Pearl, and the Wilkinson County Correctional Facility. Prison advocates have been rallying outside the state Capitol since day one of the 2020 legislative session in response to a deadly string of violence in state prisons. At least 15 inmates have died since late December, many as a result of inmate-on-inmate violence. Others were reported as suicide or natural causes. Advocates are calling for Governor Tate Reeves to close parchment. In his State of the State address last week, he announced certain units would be closing, but not all, at least not for now. In a statement, the DOJ said its investigation will focus on whether the Mississippi Department of Corrections adequately protects prisoners from physical harm at the hands of other prisoners. Its investigation will also focus on whether there is adequate suicide prevention, including adequate mental health care and appropriate use of isolation. At a press conference this week, Governor Tate Reeves commented on the investigation. He also talked about his priorities for criminal justice reform in Mississippi. We, we have... Uh... We welcome their involvement. We believe that uh, the more uh, people involved in helping us reform our system, um, the better we'll, we'll work uh, closely with them uh, and provide the information that they need uh, and they want. Um, I'm, I feel certain that the Department of Justice wants the same thing I want, uh, and that is uh, to ensure that we have um, the dignity of every uh, person uh, looked at and that uh, we are taking the necessary steps to ensure uh, that that is the case. The next step in criminal justice reform, and, and this may or may not take legislation, but it certainly uh, wouldn't hurt, but where we need to spend our focus is on reentry. Uh, we need to ensure that those individuals that are up for parole or those individuals that have served their sentence, that they reenter society with a skill, with a base of knowledge and support whereby they can go into the workforce and then provide for themselves or their families. What we know is that if they don't have that, if they don't have that skill set or they don't have that ability to go get a J-O-B, then the likelihood that they're going to return to the streets and commit crimes is relatively high. And the fact that they're going to end up back in prison is relatively high. And that's not what we want and it's not what they want. And so I think reentry is the place that we need to focus uh, our efforts. and and certainly something that I'm committed to. And I've heard uh, other leaders in the legislative branch of Mississippi talk about that as well. So I think there's general consensus we need to work on it. And, and um, by the way, Mississippi's not unique in that regard. I think every other state needs to work on their reentry programs. I have the opportunity to talk to governors, Republicans, and Democrats over the years. And um, it, it's, a, it's a challenge for all of us. And we've got to 
keep working to, to, to do better. So. As Mississippi lawmakers tackle prison reform, one expert says an issue they have to confront is the thousands of gang members flowing in and out of the system. Jimmy Anthony is with the Mississippi Association of Gang Investigators. He spoke to members of the Senate Judiciary B and Corrections Committees earlier this week. He says there are 41 national gangs and eight outlaw motorcycle gangs in this state. Anthony says the top three gangs in Mississippi are the Gangster Disciples, Simon City Royals, and Vice Lords. As I said in the meeting, because of deniability, gangs have a pretty good foothold in our state. Uh, the strongest presence is in Mississippi Department of Corrections right now. They, they've shown their existence in the last couple of weeks through, um, I'm sure everyone has seen the, the social media, Twitter, Facebook feeds that have been coming from there. Um, we are trying, the gang association is trying to focus on keeping those people, the, the adults, gang members, away from our children the people that are already incarcerated. We want them away from our children. Uh, we constructed new legislation. This is our fifth year going, uh, trying to get it passed where it's actually against the law to be a gang member. Right now, it's not. The, the law that was written in 1972 is washed. And it's actually an enhancement if you're a gang member, not against the law to be a gang member. But I need people to understand being a gang member means you're part of a, voluntarily a part of a criminal organization because that's what they've expanded into. Uh, it's not the gangs that people remember from the 50s and 60s that protected their neighborhoods. These are people involved in criminal organized crime. The need for more workforce training programs in prisons was also mentioned during the criminal justice reform meeting. Lawmakers tell MPB's Desiree Frazier it will take a multi-year process to get a handle on gang presence and other needs inside the prison system. We're going to have to work through it. Uh, I will not lie um, you know part of it is the bill that I've been pushing which is we is the gang what we call the gang bill to allow law enforcement to have the tools that they need to get at the gangs and to stop preying on our children and and you know it's going to be a long time before we solve this completely um, but as I said in the hearing uh, we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to solve it you know in this session alone this is a uh, multi-year approach that we're going to have to do this. With a price tag. Well, yeah, and you know all the things we have to deal with, with funding and all that stuff. So, and we need to be doing that. You heard from the, from the presentation in here about putting, putting more money into drug courts, intervention courts, mental health courts. The, the idea is to do things so that they don't get into the system in the first place. Okay, but the reality is that people do commit crimes. We, that's why we have criminal laws. That's why the legislature, as a representative of the people, makes the decision of what is a crime and what is not. And we have to uh, take those decisions seriously. You know, we have to provide an atmosphere or an environment, rather, for these individuals when they are released, but, but, but give them something while they are there. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, we have to get beyond just being warehouses, whether it's county jails or, 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 or technical violation centers, state prisons, or private prisons. We have to do something more than just be a warehouse. We have to give these people some good workforce training while they're there. And also, uh, I think we should be providing some type of transitional housing um, to help these individuals uh, be ready to re-enter society and I just think that
transitional housing will be at a cheaper cost than what it costs the state of Mississippi to house an individual uh, on a daily basis. Therefore, um, I think those savings that could possibly come as a result of that can be can go back into our Department of Corrections for either uh, improvements on our facilities or and or uh, uh, um, salary for for our staff. On Wednesday, the Senate passed out of committee and took to the floor a teacher pay bill. Senate Bill 2001 calls for most teachers and teachers assistants to get a $1,000 raise. Those just starting out would get a slightly higher bump of $1,100, bringing the starting pay for teachers in Mississippi to $37,000. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says this is the first bill in the chamber. It won unanimous approval and it passed with bipartisan support. Well, it passed unanimously. Every member of the Senate was a co-sponsor, and when they got through, they got, it was a standing ovation to recognize the fact that pages are turning as a vitality in the Senate and some purpose, some commonality of purpose, and I think it's great. According to the State Department of Education, average teacher pay in Mississippi last school year was a little more than $45,000. The teacher pay bill now heads to the House. Here's how lawmakers on both sides of the Capitol are responding to the Senate vote. Well, we all know that our, that our teachers are, uh, because of their position, are our future, just as our children are our future. And, and uh, we're excited uh, that to have the teachers that we have in this state because we have some really good teachers. But uh, it, it's, it, we're excited the fact that we've all run, we all run on the, you know, the proposition that we're going to make education better in this state. The more you pay teachers, the more uh, students are going to be teachers and the better teachers you're going to have. So we all know that and we're excited that we're getting the pay up to where it should be. We're still a little lower than what we want to be. I think you're probably going to see we had a pay raise last year, had a pay raise this year. We're going to have another pay raise next year, I'm sure. But I would hope we would uh, hurry up and pass it. But the truth of the matter is uh, $1,500, $1,000, that's not enough for teachers. And as we lift their salary, we need to think about the people who work at the community colleges as well. Because uh, we found out yesterday, as we increase the salaries of, of our uh, K-12 through teachers, it causes a problem for the people who uh, have the same credentials working at community colleges. So we need to start beginning to have the conversation about how we be uh, fair and equitable across the board. School teachers are overworked, underpaid, and put up on a lot of uh, stress and strain unnecessarily. So we really need to think about giving them a comfortable salary that's uh, the southeastern average, but we also need to think about those other uh, people who work in community college as well. Because it was disheartening to hear that when we found out a lot of people leaving the community college going back to high school based upon the salary increases. Mississippi's institutions of higher learning are also asking the legislature for more, more money to increase their faculty salaries. In Senate and House committee meetings this week, IHL Commissioner Alfred Rankins told lawmakers that between 2017 and 2019, surrounding states increased their funding for higher education, while Mississippi's declined by nearly 11 percent. Rankins is requesting $733 million for fiscal year 2021. As Mississippi goes, I think uh, our universities go. So I think our universities are part of 
the solution here in our state. If we want uh, higher paying jobs, if we want salaries to go up in the state, if we want our communities to thrive and do better, and the quality of life of all of our citizens to increase, I think our universities play a vital role in moving our state forward. The presidents of the state's eight universities discuss the challenges of attracting and retaining faculty. It can be especially difficult for schools in the Delta to recruit teachers to live in such a rural area. Gerald Briggs is president of Mississippi Valley State. When uh, that faculty member can and go to another institution at a neighboring state uh, and uh, from the beginning uh, receive a higher, higher rate of pay, uh, that is part of their decision making. So in order to uh, get them to come, to, to not only come, but to stay, we do have to be competitive, and that has to be uh, part of our mindset going forward. Lawmakers say they will be reviewing state revenues to determine what increases they can provide and to what agencies. Mississippi advocates for the early learning collaborative say 76% of four-year-olds are ready for kindergarten after completing the pre-K program. Rachel Cantor with the nonprofit Mississippi First says there are, there are 18 learning collaboratives serving 2,200 children. She says the program got $6.7 million in 2019. Cantor tells MPB's Desiree Fraser she wants 18 million for fiscal year 2021 in order to more than double the size of the program. Certainly kids at the end of the age of four year old, uh, their four year old year before they go into kindergarten, they need to know things like the letters of the alphabet, be able to start matching letters and sounds, know their numbers, know that the symbol one matches to one ball, matches to the word one, those kinds of things in reading and math that prepare them for our kindergarten standards or our kindergarten learning standards. They also are learning things like being able to be in a school environment, being able to sit and listen when it's time to sit and listen, knowing when it's time to go play and have fun, knowing when they need to concentrate on what they're doing and having the ability to concentrate for longer and longer periods of time as is appropriate to their age. All of those different kinds of things that help you function in a classroom and be successful, in addition to reading and math and art and science, expanding their worldview so that when they start reading, they will be able to connect the words to things in the world that they know about. There's 18 right now. Is that anywhere near what the state needs? So 18 represents about 8% of four-year-olds statewide. That's a pretty small program. So we have one of the highest quality programs in the country, but one of the smallest programs in terms of size. We would love to see that grow because we know it works and we know that that quality is there. So we wanna see the legislature continually expand and expand and expand the program so that we can start reaching a higher percentage of kids. Cantor says there are no collaboratives on the Gulf Coast or in a large portion of central Mississippi. She says they rely on tax credits to fill funding gaps whereby people donate to a collaborative and then take a deduction on their state income tax. House and Senate education leaders say increasing the budget for early learning collaboratives may be possible this session. Pre-K learning is, is one of the most important investments that I think we can make, um, particularly in our rural areas and our high poverty areas. Um, as we, we talked about this morning, um, the science will, will show us that the zero to five years are the most important years for brain formation. And um, getting to students early, you know, when they're three and when they're four, is key to uh, identifying problems early 
and, and really influencing the way that their brain develops in a positive way. And um, all the, the research that shows the growth over time that um, pre-K is, is one of the most effective ways to ensure better student outcomes. And I think the, um, the greater investment we can make in that regard with our young people, the better we'll be. You know, early in the session, you know, revenue numbers don't be coming until the end of, the, end of April. Um, there are a lot of priorities this year between MDOC, roads and bridges, mental health, Medicaid, but I'm going to be pushing for it. Um, results, you know, I'm a results-oriented guy, and we know the results for ELCs are there. Um, the kids are doing better. Uh, plus, we got to beat Alabama, too. We don't want to be behind them. So, uh, uh, definitely, I'm going to be pushing for that as much as I can. So now let's get straight to the point with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. Good to have you two with us, as always. Uh, let's start with criminal justice reform and the prison system. Uh, Brandon, let me start with you. Is this the, the unrest in Mississippi prisons of the last couple of months, in particular at Parchment, has this created uh, sort of a watershed moment that, uh, in addition to this Department of Justice investigation, where people who have been advocating for change in the system for so long are finally going to get some legislation passed? Yeah, Wilson, I think unquestionably it has. This has been a gathering storm. We've been overbooked at our prisons for quite some time, overcrowded, understaffed. Conditions have been bad, and they just reached a boiling point at the end of last year and spilling over into this year. And so we have a variety of issues that we have to address. The Department of Justice paying attention to this issue, looking at safety, is important. That, that's going to give them some oversight, a little bit of opportunity to give guidance. I appreciate the governor, who seems to appreciate MDOC's poor performance in this area in the past and seems willing to take steps to see some change and to invite the feds in to make sure that we're handling things in an appropriate way. But as, as even the governor mentioned, we have quite a few other things we have to look at. How we're preparing people to transition out of the system is important. And whether or not we're creating incentive for people to behave when they're in prison is important. What we mean by that is restoring things like parole, getting sentencing down to the right level so that people in prison have something to work toward, so that they're not there with the door locked and the key thrown away. Give them some reason to get involved and get invested. And bills like Senate Bill 2123 and others, I think, address that. I think the legislature's looking at this. It's a crucible moment, and I hope Mississippi can rise to the occasion. Well, I think most importantly, it's a bipartisan moment. It's bipartisan efforts. It was last year when this bill was, uh, when criminal justice reform was brought up at the Capitol last year, whether it was the governor, the lieutenant governor, Juan Barnett, uh, who was who one of the leading Democrat members in the, in the state Senate, uh, and even Brandon, who, who, who's applauding what Tate Reeves, our governor, is saying. Um, so this is, this is definitively a bipartisan issue. Um, look, we all want to uh, have less people in prison, okay? We want to have less people in prison because people are not going back to prison after they initially get there. And it's just like uh, Governor Reeves said, the best way to prevent that is to help these people have the right tools when they go back, when they get out of prison. How do they have the right tools, the career tools, the ability to, to function in society uh, so that, that we, we cut down these rates of, of coming back to prison? And that's important, and I'm glad Tate Reeves and, and Democrats in the legislature and Republicans in the legislature are addressing it. It's really you know, important. You know, Austin, it occurs to me, even something as simple as having an option of getting a driver's license 
having an option of uh, being able to work towards some type of degree, those types Little of things, things but they matter. Those, those small things all add up to making someone more capable of transitioning in a more seamless way. All right, let's move on to uh, something we haven't mentioned thus far in the program, and that's this uh, really surprising, or it caught a lot of people, I think, by surprise, these indictments of, of six people associated with the Department of Human Services in Mississippi and uh, embezzling, uh, we don't know how many millions of dollars at this point, from uh, the TANF program, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Uh, was this a surprise to you? I, I think it was to most people also. Yeah, I think, you know, most people in and around government, maybe even outside of, of the sort of Jackson area, knew that there was investigation audits that were going on at, at, at DHS. Nobody, well, at least that I know of, um, let me take that back, it was not widely known why these audits were taking place. And obviously this story comes out, it is beyond sad to see this. Um, it's depressing to see this. Um, TANF funds, if you go look, these are for people, um, as, as Brandon and Wilson, I had this conversation earlier, these are people who are um, really, really poor and they're for pregnant mothers, they're for, they're for single parents, they're for families who are trying to get back, they don't have a job, and they just need a little money to help pay for the basic fundamentals of their life, their bills, their food, these types of things, and this money was being stolen. I mean, this is the opposite of what Robin Hood did. Robin Hood stole from the rich to give to the poor. This is stealing from the poor to give to the rich, and let me tell you, Shad White, and Jody Owens, who's the Hines County District Attorney, deserve a lot of credit. There are, there are a lot of people um, that were doing awful things, and, and congratulations to both uh, our State Auditor Chad White and our Hines County District Attorney Jody Owens for having the guts to go do this. And we'll see where this ultimately ends up and, and who has been accused and who, who, who is ultimately convicted and who's maybe found um, innocent. We'll see. Yeah, that's really well said, Austin. I think the victims here are um, are those people who could have really used that assistance. And you know, there, there's been some talk about the number of TANF applications that are not received, and I know that's got to taste real bitter in the mouth of people who are trying to take those steps to get things back on track for themselves and their family. And look, we live in Mississippi. We're a state that's struggling with these poverty issues, and, and so TANF is a way that you make some of those important transitions in life, and it's terribly sad, but I'm like you. I applaud the people who are being the watchdog that they were elected to be to look after these things. And so Shad and Joey. And a Democrat. That's right. Another, another opportunity for leaders of different parties, different backgrounds to work together to do something right. Uh, we'll see how that case plays out. This is the early stages, of course, the ind indictment's just uh, just handed and, down. And it's just, I, I'm sorry, I just have to make yeah. this point. I think it's just so ridiculous and stupid for people who were stealing money from government, whether it's the local government, your county government, state government, federal government, you're going to get caught. This is ridiculous. You are taking taxpayer dollars, you're taking money away from people, particularly in this case, who are poor people who need this money. Don't be stupid. You're going to get caught and you're going to go to jail. So I'm sorry, I'm jumping off my soapbox now, but I think that point just has to be made. I mean, I just don't understand the rationale, the greed um, behind whether they're stealing a dollar uh, from, a, from, a, from their municipality because they're involved with, with that, or they're stealing millions of dollars at the state level. Of course, we presume innocence until proven of guilty, course, so we'll uh, see how that case uh, plays out. Let's move on to, uh, to legislation that would, uh, again, attempt to make kindergarten 
kindergarten mandatory uh, in Mississippi. Briggs Hobson behind this bill. What do you know about it? Oscar? Well, I've, I've uh, talked to Senator Hobson. Look, Senator Hobson has the right idea about why he wants to do this. As, as, um, as he would tell you, he's introduced this bill for a number of years. And look, what you have to know is there are, kindergart there are kindergartens in every public school district in the state. It is not a requirement for you to send your child to that kindergarten, okay? A lot of people send them to parochial schools, to private schools, to public schools for kindergarten. It's a, and I think the actual number is about 96 or 97% of all kindergarten age kids in Mississippi are going to some kindergarten. So Senator Hobson would say if he was sitting right here, it's a small number of kids that he that he's worried about that he thinks are not prepared to go and be successful uh, when they go to first grade, and I get that. Um, I don't agree with him on everything about this bill whatsoever. I respect him as a person. I think he's you know one of the smarter people at the Capitol. We'll see if this bill goes anywhere, but this bill would essentially make it a requirement, mandatory, if you have a child that's five years old on August the 1st, that they would have to go to some kindergarten, parochial, private, public, uh, certified homeschool, beginning at the age of five uh, on, on August the 1st. But doesn't give them that give them the leg up and the preparation they need for first grade. Well, yeah, and I think we just we just heard about these early childhood collaboratives, which have been going on for a number of years, and they're wildly successful from everything that I can learn for four year olds. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure that these kids, when they're three and they're four and they're five and they're six years old, are ready to be successful when they get to first grade. But we got to make sure we're doing it in the right ways. And there's a debate that Senator Hobson's trying to drive, and, and I, I, I appreciate it. I don't agree with everything that uh, about it, but I certainly appreciate his intent on what he's trying to do. It's a good bill. It's a data-driven bill. What we know is this is a crucial learning period for these young kids, and they are being required to go to school and attend in the first grade. And, and to your point, Wilson, or the question that you asked, um, if you don't show up in first grade ready to learn, prepared to learn, then you start out behind. And sometimes you stay behind as time moves forward. And so we're putting resources into pre-K development. We're trying to put more resources into first through 12. This is just kind of that crucial middle part that the state needs to pay attention to. And so I applaud Senator Hobson for keeping the conversation going. Right. In 15 seconds, what do you think the fate of the teacher pay bill is once it goes to the House? So far, so good. I think you could see the House amend it to try to increase it, but I think some teacher pay raise will pass. Oh, yeah, there's no question. I mean, it passed unanimously in the Senate, as, as Lieutenant Governor Hoseman said. Every member of the Senate signed on as a co-sponsor. This will get done in the House. We'll ultimately see what the dollar amount is, but I think it'll be a minimum of the amount that's coming out of the Senate. Perhaps we'll be discussing that uh, next week here Absolutely. on At Issue. Uh, for this week, though, we are out of time. Don't forget, you can watch this program online at mpbonline.org. For day-to-day -day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. We appreciate you joining us here tonight. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. 
If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.